Ah, yes, synods. With the news of the ending of the traditional Latin Mass for most Catholics being now reported by outlets that no one would consider to be rumor mongers, we need to revisit the coming synods. We have a synod on synods and a synod on priests coming soon, all run by Rome and headed by the presumed pontiff. While synodal meetings of bishops and of the church aren't anything new, I mean, they go back to the Council of Trent, as I demonstrated in an earlier video, this method of continuous change being brought upon the church is something new. It is a feature of the post-conciliar era, but is especially a feature of the reign of Francis the Humble. But where did this come from, really? What changed? How did we get here? And why are so many bishops just going along with it? Even the better bishops are, which is why the only bishops in the church I have any real trust in are the auxiliary bishop from Kazakhstan, and of course, the bishop gone underground himself, the good archbishop. Now for those not aware, I've noticed if I say either of their names, here some strange things begin to happen associated with our benevolent and totally fair hosts, so I have to be vague. But let's examine where this comes from, because here's the thing, this can all be traced back to the work of a single group of cardinals led by the man who should have been Francis, the man who should have been the great agent of continuous change in the church, but wasn't, because he didn't get a chance to become Pope before it was too late for him. Because last week I we was so busy I never got the chance to talk about this story that was published by the National Catholic Register, I'm doing it now. The, it details how the dream of bringing the church in line with the values and moves of the world are not the dream of Francis, meaning that they weren't something that he came up with, no, the dream of aligning the church with a particular vision of the secular life and imposing that upon the church and claiming that it was the will of God comes from the man who would have been Francis if things had played out differently in the 1990s, Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini, another noted Jesuit. If you're not familiar with the late Cardinal Martini and why he is such an important figure in the history of the church, pay attention. This article from the Register comes from the 21st of May, which seems like an eternity ago now, given the news regarding Father Altman, the suppression of the Latin Mass, and other big stories. But let's take a long look at this article. According to its author, Today's announcement of a two-year process for the upcoming Synod on Synodality appears to reflect the ideas of Jesuit Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini, who viewed synodality as a vehicle for questioning church teaching. That's the quick summary of the piece provided by the Register. And questioning church teaching on what? Well, on whatever was the de jure issue of the day. At the core of his thinking was an idea rejected by the syllabus of errors, but embraced by the council called collegiality, which is the concept that the bishops, as a body, are on equal footing with the Pope in terms of authority in the church. That's a modernist error, a particularly pernicious one, that is on full display in Germany as we speak. So from the Register... The Vatican's announcement today that Pope Francis has changed his plans for the next Synod of Bishops and made it into a multi-phase process over two years comes closer to fulfilling a dream of the late, innovative, Jesuit Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini. The former Cardinal Archbishop of Milan, a favorite of those pushing for heterodox reforms in the Church, had envisioned a permanent synodal church in which the idea of collegial governments introduced at the Second Vatican Council could be better realized. The Jesuit biblical scholar who died in 2012 had a dream in 1999 of a church capable of being in a permanent synodal state with a collegial and authoritative exchange among all the bishops on some key issues. And what are those key issues? 
opening ordination to whatever the world wants us to, rejecting the sound teaching of Humanae Vitae, embracing Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church's bridge-building campaign, giving the Eucharist to those who have abandoned the nuptial sacrament and turning the Catholic Church into something resembling a cross between the Church of England and Eastern Orthodoxy. If all, if all that sounds familiar, well, it should. We're seeing it unfold before our eyes. Martini was the head of the St. Gallen group, by all reports, that group of cardinals who had promised one another to prevent Cardinal Ratzinger from becoming Pope. And they didn't achieve that objective, obviously, and mostly gave up on their efforts, and Martini himself declared that he was too old to pursue the papacy prior to 2005 anyway. Their last effort was in 2005 when they tried to get Cardinal Bergoglio chosen as Pope. They gave up until 2013, and, well, the rest is history. Martini himself passed away in 2012, but it has been said elsewhere that he personally saw the potential in the now-present Pope Francis. But let's continue, because this part of the story is critical. Again, going back to the register. In a later interview in 2004, he said he also saw the Synod of Bishops, as Pope Francis does, as an important element in a less centralized form of church governance. Rather than argue for a Third Vatican Council, he believed his vision of a permanent synodal church would not only be more in line with the Second Vatican Council's call for collegial governance, but an effective vehicle for introducing the key issues he mentioned. Echoing a similar kind of synodal permanence, Pope Francis's upcoming synod will be entirely devoted to synodality for two years. The official theme is, for a synodal church, communion, participation, and mission. It follows almost annual Vatican synodal assemblies during Francis's pontificate. Originally scheduled for October next year, the upcoming meeting will now consist of a diocesan phase running from this October until April 22nd, a continental phase from September 22nd to March 23rd, and a conclusive phase for the Universal Church in October 2023. It will have two working documents, Instrumentum Laboris, instead of the usual one. Now, I won't bore you with more from that article. It goes on to de detail what this synod is about, and I've covered that extensively already, but this has been the roadmap to remake the church into the images of the neo-modernists from the beginning, and it's why we've been subject to synods of the church every two years since Francis's ascension. He is fulfilling the dreams and vision of his mentor. It's as simple as that. And this is why I have said before on numerous occasions that what we are seeing is a Vatican III by proxy, not just in the forthcoming synod, but in the synods that resulted in Amoris Laetitia and the Amazon document, as well as others. This coming synod should be a doozy, and many, many Catholics will just accept what they see uncritically. And this reminds me of something Father Ripperger said at his conference talk on modernist errors. He said, one of the principal ways to combat in spiritual warfare is you have to know your faith. It's not good enough just to say a few prayers here and there. You have to continually learn about your faith so you don't get sucked into this indirect takedown, because if you don't, it's so pernicious. Modernism, which is now the heresy in the church, is so pernicious. It's so much in the air that unless you have a special grace, or unless you really know your faith extraordinarily well, you're simply going to er end up in error. It's that simple, so you have to pray. Now, this reminds me of various things that I'll say that cause a stir and emails. The best example of this is that the Holy Spirit does not choose the Pope. People think a Pentecost-type event happens at every papal conclave, and that God personally chooses the Pope. Given the number of wicked men whom the Church fully admits were wicked and did evil things as Pope, that would mean that, the, that God chooses error. I mean, after all, he knows what's going to happen in every papacy. Note the use of the word choose. 
some people believe God chooses a specific man to be Pope. Instead, what really happens is that at a conclave, the cardinals can choose to open themselves up via prayer and fasting to the influence of the Holy Spirit in the process, and that if they do so, they can receive a singular grace in the choosing of the man who will be Pope. But we don't have any evidence that that's happened in the, if, for a very long time. I mean, it happened rarely in history. Cardinals are sinners as much as the rest of us, and the number of less than stellar popes in history is a testimony to this. But this pernicious error has been spread throughout the post-conciliar history and is a hallmark of Vatican II thinking. The Council never said that, but then again, it didn't say a lot of things that people claim that it did. This isn't to suggest that the Pope is, isn't protected by a singular grace from promulgating formal error, but infallibility strictly defined and claiming that the Holy Spirit actively chooses a man to be Pope are not the same thing. Now watch, I'll get emails and comments from people claiming that I'm in error for saying this. And if I am, then you have to explain how admitted heretics like Honorius, Liberius, and a few others became Pope, because God does not embrace error. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. Father Ripperger's point is important. It is exactly why I present the writings of the great minds of the Church, including the great pontiffs, on the weekends. Yeah, those documents are a little drier, but man, are they important. And you have to know your faith if you want to navigate these turbulent waters that the bark of Peter finds itself in. You have to know your faith and teach it to your loved ones and your friends in whatever way you can, because let's be honest, this won't end when Francis's papacy comes to a close. He's put in the work to all but guarantee that a successor is from the same mold. And I say all but guaranteed because conclaves rarely have the outcome that most people expect, though the last two turned out exactly as those who had watched the last few closely predicted they would. Bergoglio nearly was chosen by his peers in 2005, but that honor went after several attempts to Ratzinger, the favorite. And we know how 2013 turned out. In fact, that conclave was decided very quickly. Francis has chosen 60% of the cardinals who will participate in that coming process. And every year that percentage ticks up a little with retirements and replacements as they come. If you want to know what to do, pray earnestly for the better bishops and for the interior conversion of some of the more middling ones, because at best it is one of them that may become Pope someday. We'll all see. But there you have it. Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini was the architect of the actions of the Francis papacy. And the man we call Francis today was a devotee of his vision going back well into his time as a priest in Argentina. None of this is new, and much of their work was detailed in Malachi Martin's two novels, Vatican and Windswept House. I recommend you read them because they both illustrate together how things changed so dramatically in the church, and what this work looked like going back to the 1980s. But I'd like to know what you think about this in the comments below. Is Francis going to surprise us with something less than what we're expecting, or is it going to be what Cardinal Martini wanted, a permanent synodal church? Let me know your thoughts on this, and like, subscribe, and hit that bell so you don't miss an update. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein, Ave Maria.